When her head started swelling, the veins blooming blue, we knew it wouldn't be long. That winter, Mrs. Mushnick died in flat 32D. For years, we'd been used to residents leaving. Residents packed up and left, or were taken away, but never had one died in their flat. Eula, in 11A, said she'd seen the body. Mrs. Mushnick lying on the floor, stretched out like a seam. And the cat ate her face, she said. Management came, offered no explanation or words of comfort, and deleted 32D from the directory in the foyer. Soon after, two masked men in white synthetic suits arrived and inspected and sterilized everything. I asked if she had any family. One of the masked men grunted, there wasn't much left to take. The first sign of a new resident came a few weeks later in the form of a little yellow note taped to the notice board in the front hall. It read, Philip K, 32D, one week. My fingers traced along the awkward handwriting to the sharp edge of the paper and tugged. The note wrinkled, collapsed under the weight of my fingers, ground into a pebble beneath my fist, then slid into my pocket, unnoticed. That was how Philip K. came to live with us. The day of arrival was met with veritable indifference from the other residents of Barbary House. A few faces, in shadow, emerged in doorways when the cargo men arrived, but mostly everyone remained in their flats, locked, safe, and hidden away. I appeared more daring in my curiosity and followed the curls of ripped wallpaper to the second floor, stationing myself on the landing to get an unobstructed view of the front hall. Three cargo men had gathered below, two grasping the sides of a soiled mattress, the other holding a large box marked with broad black strokes warning, fragile, and be careful. As the cargo men started up the stairs, a fourth man appeared in the doorway, unlike the others, dressed in a white shroud, cradling a glass domed shell tucked under his armpit. My throat bloated and I grew suddenly uneasy wishing to retreat back to the safety of my own flat. The stranger stepped into the front hall. The door opened further. Sunlight poured over the warped and rotting wooden floor. Further still, sunlight chased across the grimy walls and fell across my face. A storm of static. Then an electronic voice said, Hello. I had unconsciously closed my eyes and begun wringing my hands on the banister to study my shifting balance. I opened one eye, the left, it is always the left, to a shaft of light reflecting off the stranger's glass-domed shell, an ultraviolet sting to my retina. I cupped my hands above my brow, looked out, and echoed back, hello. Are you real up there? the stranger said. I couldn't determine the color of this voice. No man, no woman, a machine. I replied with a tuneful, yes, but remained inanimate at the top of the stairs. The stranger asked, do you think you could point me in the direction of apartment 32D? It's here, I said, up here. Again, the sound of static sputtered. Do the moving men know the way? I believe so. Yes, I said. The static subsided. A faint good reverberated, and the stranger stepped onto the staircase. 
Are you the welcoming committee? He said. I hadn't thought it would be so formal. Oh no, I said it's not. Just an onlooker then. I chirped. No, no. Well, the stranger appeared on the second floor landing. Take a good long look. The stranger struck a pose, a knee bent, a hip flanked out, the chin pointed skyward. The stranger was tall and lean and undeterminable. A small black box strapped across the stranger's throat gleamed and what little light was filtering through the cracks in the building. What is that? I asked, pointing to the box-shaped choker. The stranger placed two ringed fingers in a V-shape across the front of the black box. He pressed, and an electronic breath spat out. My voice. Barbary House is shaped like a block letter C, or perhaps a U, depending on which direction you're facing. A square-backed building with two long arms jutting straight out, parallel. A small, concrete garden occupying the negative space in between. I came to live at Barbary House not soon after my ninth birthday. Mother and father had received the diagnosis from the doctor that reported an aberration existing among my cell structure, resulting in a possible inversion of my... The news proved doubly discouraging for my parents, determining their newly cloned daughter had been identified and that she would not successfully serve as the replacement for their long-suffering first daughter, my twin, whose body and mind had been ravaged by leukemia. Mother and father kept me in the family as long as they could, leaving me nameless and hidden from the world until they understood how to proceed with my condition. On the eve of my ninth birthday, mother finally gave me a name, a twin ode or deviation in honor of the one I was created to mimic, Audrey. Soon after, mother announced I had been accepted as a mining candidate, a donor, and would be sent to live for preservation at the Barbary House with others like me, but away from their families. The next week I traveled with mother, father, and sister to my new home. I sat with Audrey in the back seat and sobbed while she slept lulled by the drown of the machines that fueled her breath. I kept reminding myself that I should be grateful for this gift, grateful that my family loved me, wanted to protect me, sought to hide me away from the warring country that sought to discontinue my kind, but I could not quell the approaching sense of dread. I clasped tightly to Audrey's lifeless hand and whimpered a made-up lullaby of my own comfort. Arriving at Barbary House, mother and father escorted me to my room and packed away my belongings. Mother bent to kiss my forehead, like goodbye. She whispered, take care of yourself, as she closed the door. There, I remained for many years. It proved to be a difficult undertaking to adjust to life in the house, to assimilate with the other residents, fellow minds, but I was reminded of my purpose. The reason I had come to live at the house, the day the first letter arrived. Dearest Odd, I never heard if you liked the chocolate or not. Father and I are going to the States soon. I will bring you back more if you liked it. 
Our Audrey is not doing well, I'm afraid. The kidney failed as expected. Doctor will be in touch soon. Love, Mother. Eventually, I took to studying the other residents for amusement. From my bedroom window, in the rightmost arm of Barbary House, I had a clear view across the cement garden into flat 32D, what was then Mrs. Mushnick's flat. At night, I would watch her watch her TV. A 10-inch monitor placed amongst picture frames, tidily displayed upon her fireplace mantle. Beulah once gossiped, imagine replacing family photos with a TV set. Mrs. Mushnick performed the same routine nightly, eating from a black ceramic bowl, occasionally passing in front of the silver blue screen for a second helping. The shadow of her oblong body would stride across my ceiling. Over time, the shape of Mrs. Musnick's shadow morphed into something other, from oblong to square to a crooked S. Her form collapsed as portions of her spine were removed, reducing her stature. Beulah had told me that she was a mind for her sister in Florida, spina bifida. As the cargo men traipsed down the stairway, passing in silence with heads hung low, the stranger and I entered flat 32D. I stopped in the doorway and said, I'm in 32A, across the way we're neighbors. The stranger nodded, spread a warm smile, the voice box sputtered, lovely. The stranger entered the flat, crossed the room and placed the glass dome shell on the mantle. I asked, what is that? Silence. After a moment, Contura. Again, silence. I grew uneasy and said, I'm Audrey, by the way, and inched further into the flat, extending my left hand, always the left hand, and clarified, O-D-D. Odd. Yes, odd. Audrey. Clever, said the stranger, moving closer to place a thin and heavy hand in mine. I have not yet decided on a name. But you're Philip, aren't you? The stranger began to unravel the tightly wound shroud. The voice box hissed. I was once, yes. Philip was sitting in the hospital corridor the first day of November, the day of the dead. Around him, the walls looked yellow. He thought, isn't white the default color of health? At the other end of the corridor, Dr. Scrivello was lifting an elderly, quasi-reptilian man onto a cot whose left leg had been recently harvested. Philip was consoled by the doctor's extraterrestrial manner. There are not many like him. A voice called out, Mr. Krellborn. Dr. Scrivello approached, smiling. I'm ready for you now. Philip stood and walked slowly towards the doctor, his heated, sweaty palms ironing out the blinds of his paper gown. He looked down at his body and surmised, there is nothing healthy here. Philip pressed against his ribs, not to crack, but to shrink. He hoped the operation would be a success. The excavation of the animus, the tumor beneath his belly, unveiling the anima, the cultivation of the Gemma within, and at last, a woman. 
The noise of the hospital grew louder. The sigh, en masse, of gasping lungs, the howl of lives slipping into anorantic states. Philip sat stiff, propped up in a metal chair inside the doctor's office. His eyes surveyed his newly transformed body, mummified under strips of tightly wound cloth. Dr. Scrivello appeared, the exercised ugliness entombed under a glass-domed shell. He held it under his arm. In three days' time, the doctor said, the organ will expire and any reverse procedure is impossible. Philip nodded, not yet accustomed to the newly fastened voice box to his larynx. The doctor indicated a green light flickering on the side of the shell's pedestal. Once this light goes off, the organ is lost. You must make peace with your decision. Philip sunk further into the metal chair. Dr. Scrivello folded his hands and sat on the edge of his desk. I've arranged for you to stay at Barbary House in the west end of the city. It's primarily used for mines, but... The doctor paused. Inversions of any kind are welcome. Are there any questions? Philip twitched. Dr. Scrivello frowned. I'm sorry. Have you chosen a name for your new self? Philip's fingers twisted upwards towards his throat, pawing at the voice box. The frequency pulsed, an asexual and robotic tongue clicked out, no. The stranger emerged from the discarded shroud, the fabric gathered and pooled on the floor, a puddle of lumpy milk. Naked, the stranger crossed to the other side of the room, and I glimpsed at the tattooed text scrawled across the protruding shoulder blades. Inked lashes overlapping, too difficult to decipher. As the stranger turned to reach for a row, I realized the tattoo mapped across his entire body. I gasped. The stranger sat in a nearby armchair, splayed out like a starfish. How long have you lived here? He asked. Embarrassed, I said, 20 years. The stranger sat still for a moment. The eyes widened. But are you relatively unharvest? You are mine, yes? Yes. For my sister, I said yes. She's sick. A heat surged throughout my body. She's taken some blood cells, a kidney. Oh, is that all? I love my sister. The stranger remained seated and smirked. Poor little clone. I asked, you don't have any family? I do, the stranger said, but I've closed up shop. The stranger slid back into the chair to look outside the window. The robe lifted above his knee. The voice box sparked alive. I've mutilated or destroyed anything that you think to harvest. I returned to my end of Barbary House to find a red envelope balancing precariously on the door handle of flat 32A. Without opening it, I knew it was a request letter from the doctor on behalf of Mother. Audrey is in need of something. Beulah had obviously intercepted the letter from the mail carrier 
earlier in the day and had decided to advertise her opinion. Her wobbly penmanship scratched across the front declared, tell them to fuck off. I entered my flat, not turning on the lights, and crossed towards my bedroom. Lying down on the bed, I mourned the absence of Mrs. Mushnick's silver blue light. The new resident, the stranger, Philip, had gone to bed. 32D now stood dark and lifeless. Realizing no comforting shadow would again parade across my ceiling, I recalled a tune long thought forgotten and lulled myself to sleep.